0: Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 16. Here's what it says. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. There's obviously only 11 at this point because Judas Iscariot is off off the scene and they haven't replaced him. This is right after the resurrection of Jesus. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word And that word made flesh through Jesus Christ, and that word made clear to our hearts and our minds through the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that over the next few minutes, that through these verses, God, that you would make clear to us what our lives are supposed to be about, what our families are supposed to be about, what a church is supposed to be about. So God, that wherever we worship, whether it's here or someone else or somewhere else, God, that we would understand what the foundation of that is supposed to be about. And God, that you would draw us together in this time of worship as we study your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that you struggle with any time in life, but especially something that moms deal with, is when you're being bombarded with ideas and commands and suggestions, and they're coming from all directions. You think about a mom who's trying to figure out during the course of a day what to focus on. And this kid is saying this, and this kid is saying this, and then the husband can't find his shoes, and so she's trying to find her husband's shoes, and she's got all of these things going on in life, and it's hard to focus when you're being bombarded by all these different things. That's true in our lives in general we have a lot of things coming at us because of social media, because of the world we live in. A lot of things come at us very fast. And you have to decide, in life, what am I going to focus on? When I have all of these things coming at me, how do I focus? I wanna show you a short video. It's gonna be a little shaky, maybe a little bit difficult to hear, but I'll translate for you after the video. But watch this video and think about that idea of how a mom is supposed to focus during the week. Mom, what are we going to do? What are we going to do at our house? Mom! Hey, mama! Mommy! Hey, mom! And she gives up. Just kidding. Now that video happened in our family's minivan this, uh, this week, as we're going down the road, I, I told Amanda, I said, if you can get a video of Emery saying mom over and over again, get that for me so I can use it this Sunday. Well, I'm thinking there's no way she's going to get that video. Fifteen minutes later, she sends me the video. I got it. <laughs> I was like, did you stage that? No, I didn't stage that. That was completely. So if you couldn't hear, Emery, our, our four-year-old, was over and over and over again saying mom, mommy, mama, Some of you know how that feels, it just comes at you. That's how life feels sometimes. In the middle of that, in the middle of that type of experience, how do you figure out what to focus on? How do you figure out what I'm supposed to give myself to, my time and my energy and my money, what do I give myself to? What I want us to do this morning is I wanna lay out for you what we want to give ourselves to. Our lives, our families, our church, what are we going to be about? Last week, we talked about that the purpose of our church was that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. So everything we are about is we want to speak about and we want to live lives that show Christ and speak about Christ to the world around us. So we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. As you were coming in, if you got one of the bulletins, one of the the, the worship guides, if you will turn that over to the back. There are some notes that you can follow through as we begin to expand that idea. We begin to think about that. Also, in your, in your bulletin is a half sheet of paper that on one side has a graph and on the other side has three circles connected by lines. It looks like a, a graphic that a pastor tried to make without any outside help, because that's what it is. It's a graphic that a pastor tried to make without any outside help. but but we're gonna reference this, we're gonna go back to this as we think about what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to understand what God is calling us to? Here's how we're gonna talk about this at Emmaus. We exist to proclaim and display Jesus, and then we're gonna add three words to that. Up, in, out. Up, in, out. If this goes well, I should say those words so many times that you begin to make fun of me for those words or it looks like we created a new dance at Emmaus or something like that. We're gonna live up, in, out. How do I proclaim and display Jesus? Up, in, out. Up is the idea of worship, that I want my life to be focused on the things of God. In is realizing that I need to be transformed from the inside out, that there are relationships that I need to build within the church body. There are things that need to happen in my life. And then out is the idea that we don't exist just for ourselves. We exist to be on mission. We are going to live out of ourselves, making the gospel known. So what in this world should you focus your life on? What should you focus your family on? What are we going to focus our, our church on? Up, in, out. If you've been a part of church for a while, those words are worship, discipleship, missions. But I know you and I know me, and we're probably not gonna remember worship, discipleship, and missions, but you can remember up, in, out. And if you can't remember those words, your child or your grandchild will remember those words for you, up, in, out. You say, well, where do you get those words? What's the big deal about those words? It doesn't sound like rocket science. Well, it's good, because it's not rocket science. It, It actually comes straight from the Great Commission from the verses of Matthew that we're gonna look at in detail. Those words in particular, up and out, I first learned from a man named Mike Breen, who is a pastor in Sheffield, England, and I thought, that makes sense. I can understand what my life is supposed to be about, what a church is supposed to be about, based on those words. I want to show you, though, in Matthew 28, where we get this. So Go back to Matthew chapter 28 in your phone, or in your Bible, and look back in verse 17. This whole situation as the disciples come to Jesus, it, it's in a context of worship. It says in verse 17 that when the disciples saw Jesus, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now this takes place after the resurrection of Jesus, just as he told the disciples it would take place, and, and they come to him and they worship him. They recognize who he is and what he's done. But there, tagged onto that, is a very surprising word. It's the word doubt. You might be asking yourself, in, in a context of worship, talking about worshiping Jesus, who was dead, and now he's alive, and these people see him, and they worship him, but some doubt it. How can those two themes go together? It, it sounds like an oxymoron. It's like the jumbo shrimp, or a big baby, or winning Texans, or something like that, that sorry. If you're you're visiting your mom and you're from Texas visiting, I sincerely almost apologize for that. But uh, it's two words that don't seem like they should go together. How does worship and doubt, how can those go together? It says there, some doubted, but that's not even necessarily the required translation. It could mean some. It could equally just mean, and they doubted. We don't know how many of them are dealing with doubts at this point. We don't know if it's all of them, it's just one of them, if it's a few of them, we don't know, but some in this group that are worshiping Jesus are dealing with doubts. And here's the reality, we know this to be true. The church, and I speak about the church not as just Emmaus, but the church in general, church is not always done well with doubt. If you had doubts or you had questions and you brought those questions or doubts to the surface, there's a chance that somebody, maybe with a good, well-meaning purpose, might have silenced you and said, "Uh, just have faith. We don't ask those questions around here. It, It seemed like doubting was a bad thing if you did that. And so what that has happened is those doubts have driven a lot of people away from church, driven a lot of people away from the Lord. But hear me out on this. Doubt does not drive someone away from the Lord. Unexpressed doubt or unrecognized doubt drives someone away from the Lord. Teenagers, this is extremely important. You're gonna get to a place that you're gonna ask questions about your faith. You're gonna think hard about what your parents believed and your grandparents believed and you're gonna ask yourself, do I believe that as well? And we have all these statistics about how teenagers, when they get out of high school, they leave the church in droves and they don't want to have anything to do. And people say it's their doubts that drove them away, their questions. More often than not, though, it's not their doubts and their questions that drove them away. It's that no one was willing to help them in the midst of their doubts and their questions. And what we find here with Jesus is he was dead And then he rose again, and he appears to them, and they still are struggling with doubt. Remember, the opposite of doubt is not prideful arrogance. (laughs) The opposite of doubt is humble faith. Sometimes we think, if I just had more answers, and I could get a few of these things resolved, then I would trust the Lord. Then I would follow him. But we realize that usually the problem isn't intellectual. Usually the problem is with our heart. Usually our problem is we're struggling with things, and we've never been able to talk to anybody. We've never been able to work through these things. I've been able to have several degrees in studying the Bible. I've worked up as far as you could, and they told me I couldn't come back to school. I've done all the degrees I could, and every time I moved up in a level of education to learn about the Bible and learn about the faith, you know what I end up with? More questions. I thought at some point, and I'm a very analytical person And by analytical, I mean borderline head case. Uh, I just stay awake at night staring at the sky thinking, Lord, what about this? And what about this? And if this is true, then what about this over here? You might say, man, I wish I was a preacher so I didn't have doubts or questions about the Bible. Let me just assure you, that does not take those away. We have questions. We have doubts. 1 Corinthians 13 says, we see through a glass darkly. One day we'll see face to face. We're not able to know everything. Our goal is not prideful arrogance. Our goal is humble faith. Here's something interesting. Those words, worship and doubt, are found together in one other place in Scripture. They're found together in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 is the story of Jesus walking on the water as Peter comes out to him. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 31 just after Peter begins to sink, because he's taking his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches out his hand and he says, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Something that stands out to me from that story in Matthew 14 And the story we find in Matthew 28 is that in both situations, when doubt happened, did you see what happened? Jesus came to the person that was doubting. He didn't run away from the person who was doubting. If we're not careful in the silence of our bedrooms as we're laying awake at night, staring at the ceilings, thinking, Lord, I just don't know, I don't understand, I've got all these questions if we're not careful, we'll think that God is furthest from us to that point as he ever could be. But the reality that we find from Matthew 14 and Matthew 28 is that when we are doubting, when we're struggling, he is nearest to us at those times. Matthew chapter 28, if you go back to verse 18, right after it says that they doubted, verse 18 says, and Jesus came and said to them. I've got to be honest with you. If I died on a cross to pay for the price of sins for other people and then I came back to life and then I appeared to that group of people and they doubted what had happened, at that point I might just say, I'm out of here. Sorry guys, I've done everything I know to do. I've been with you three years. I died. I came back to life and you're still doubting me at this point, but Jesus doesn't do that. He comes to them in the midst of their doubts and he shows them his power and his presence with them. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in the midst of their worship, in the midst of their doubts, he comes and he says, you can trust me. I have all authority, I have all power, and I will be with you. Worship is our response to who God is and what he's done in our lives. Worship is when we look to someone or something and we say, this is the most important. This is worthy of everything that I have to give. It's worthy of my life and of my family and of us being gathered together. I'm going to give everything to this. I'm going to worship this, this person, this thing. Every person on the planet is a worshiper of something. Our hope is that our lives and our church will be given to worshiping God that that would be at the foundation, that we would live our lives up. How do you do this? Take your half sheet of paper. On the side that has the graph, or the chart, so not the circle side, but the chart side, you can see there are two columns. Proclaim what we do with our words, display what we do with our actions, and then three rows, one for up, one for in, one for out. If you have an engineering mindset where everything needs to fit in a box and fit well, then hopefully this will go well for you. If you have an art mindset, you just said it looks ugly. So that's okay. I can forgive you for that. That's not a problem. I know that we we look at things differently. But we're trying to don't get too caught up on the boxes in terms of keeping things in the right box. But I want you to see the way this works. How do we live up with our words It begins when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is that point of salvation. This is the point when you say, God, I can't save myself. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you. I know that only because of Jesus am I able to have forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. This is that moment of joy when you call out to the Lord and worship for salvation. It begins there. We continue to use our words to worship the Lord when we praise him, when you praise him together corporately as a church body, when you praise him driving down the road and you just think, God, you are good. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. I praise you for that. That is living up, that is thinking about the things of the Lord and praising him for that. It also happens when we pray. Prayer is a form of worship. We're focusing our hearts and our minds and our lives on the things of God. How do you do this with your actions? One of the ways you do it is through baptism. We just saw someone with their actions worship the Lord. To say, Lord, you are worthy of my life. I die with you and I rise again because you give life. Baptism is an act of worship. The Lord's Supper, when we gather together and take of the Lord's Supper, that is an action that shows worship. It's an action that focuses us on the things of the Lord. Notice the importance there of the church gathered together. Gifts, tithes, offerings. Throughout scripture, you find that giving of ourselves is an act of worship. When we realize that everything we have is from God and everything we have is for God, everything we do with those resources, those gifts, those tithes, those offerings, those are acts of worship. So it begins with a foundation of worship, that we would worship the Lord. Secondly, so that's up, second is in. This is that inward transformation that happens Verse 19, right after Jesus talks about his power, in verse 19 he says, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father, "'and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, "'teaching them," in verse 20, "'teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you.'" This is that inward transformation that begins to take place as we are made disciples. And we need this reminder in the American church, but but make sure you see there, the goal is to make disciples. A disciple is someone who follows after Jesus completely. We're not trying to make converts. We're not trying to make religious people. We're not trying to make churchgoers. We're trying to make someone who is a disciple, who their entire life has been transformed by the things of the Lord. It happens from the inside out. And this is the important point. The goal on in is not behavior modification. In other words, it's not looking religious. The goal is that my life is so transformed from the inside out that my actions always point toward Christ because that transformation has happened. How does that happen? It happens through God's word as we get his word into our lives. It happens as we connect our lives with other believers Through a church family, it happens as we trust and we live by faith and we do things that we say, God, that could have only happened if it came from you. And I'm going to live by faith, not by sight. Take out the little paper again. Back to the chart. I know 99% of you have already read ahead in the chart, so it sort of takes away the climactic element to it. But, But let's go back and look at this. How do I live in with my words I grow spiritually through personal and group Bible studies. I'm getting that word into my life. I'm involved in spiritual disciplines. I'm praying. I'm reading the word. And then I'm teaching others what I'm learning. Now you say, whoa, time out. I'm not a teacher. That's okay. That may be very true. You may not teach a Sunday school class. You may not stand up in front of a group of people. But there are people in your life that you can teach what you're learning. One of the best things you can do is say, this is what God has taught me, this is what we studied in Sunday school, this is what the preacher talked about in church, and then you go out and you just teach that to somebody. Naturally, this is what I learned, this is what I experienced, I want to tell you, you're using your words to help someone grow as a follower of Christ, and you, in the process, are growing as well. You know, and I know, that the way you can determine if you really understand something is if you can teach it to someone else. If you've ever been a teacher of a class, you always have this feeling that you learned more than the students in your class. (laughs) You're like, I really learned that because I had to teach that. I don't know if they learned anything. Uh, but I really learned a lot. This is my feeling every Sunday morning. Man, I learned a lot. I'm not sure what anybody else learned, but I'm really trying hard here. It's that idea that when we know something, we're able to turn around and teach it to others. How do you do this with your actions? One of the ways we grow in our faith as a disciple, we grow inwardly, is by church membership. When you say, I'm going to connect my life with other believers so that I can grow in my faith, I'm I'm going to grow inwardly. I'm going to model for others how to follow Jesus and obey his commands, and I'm going to serve within the church family. Really quickly in your phone or your Bible, go back to that verse 20. Matthew 28, verse 20. I want to remind me of something by way of reminding you of something. Verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When I memorized this verse initially, I memorized it teaching them all that I have commanded you. In doing that, I left off the most important part. (laughs) Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's a way of teaching that just transmits information. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a way of teaching that changes the way that we live. And this forces us to look at our lives It forces us to look at our Sunday school classes. It forces us to look at what we're doing with our children and saying the goal is not just that I would transmit information. The goal is that we would see life change happen. Is that what we're aiming at? We're aiming at lives that are changed from the inside out. So we worship, we live up, we grow as disciples, we live in, and then finally we live out in missions. So you go back to verse 18 actually verse 19, I'm sorry, where it says, and there in 18 it talks about all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, and then 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and then in 20 it says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The work that Jesus does among his people begins with worship, carries forward to life transformation, And then carries out, as we're always going out, crossing boundaries, always moving out, expanding our impact, our influence, so that more people would know about the Lord. One of the criticisms that you sometimes hear of church, or you sometimes hear of Christians, is they only care about themselves. They're inwardly focused. And we realize that's a danger, because my second word was in. Part of what we do is inwardly focused. The problem is not that we're inwardly focused. The problem is that it would stop there, and it wouldn't then turn outward. It's not wrong to join with a church and focus on those relationships. It's not wrong to look at our lives and say, Lord, how do I need to grow? It's wrong if it ends there. Because the goal of that, the goal of that inward transformation is that then it would spill over. It would go out. We would cross boundaries. Sometimes that boundary is your street. Sometimes that boundary is a state line. Sometimes that boundary is an ocean. But we're always going out. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I think this will be on the screen. Jesus tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus' mission is always going out. It's always expanding. It's always crossing boundaries. And he has called us to that. So what does this matter? What does this matter that's the foundation of our lives and of a church? Here's the first thing that I love about Up, In, and Out. It is a reflection, a beautiful reflection of God as Trinity. God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Turn your paper over to the back where you see the circles. You'll find at some point, and this might be a scary rabbit hole to go down because I already told you I was kind of a head case, but uh, I really like the number three. I hope there's a divine reason that I like the number three, but I'm really fascinated by the number three and the way things work and how we understand God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit up in and out. Look on this graph on the back that has the circles. Up has a pretty strong correspondence to God as Father, the idea of worship. The phrase Gloria Dei just means glory to God. So we give worship and glory to God. And ultimately that glory is given to God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the top circle. If you go to the bottom left circle, in corresponds really well to God the Son. God made flesh, Jesus Christ. This is the idea of discipleship. Imago Dei, that last phrase that you see down there at the bottom of that bottom left circle. Imago Dei means the image of God. As we are transformed from the inside out, we begin to image God. We were created in the image of God. Sin takes us away from the image of God, but as the Lord begins to work in our life, our lives begin to reflect his image to the world around us. So we are transformed into the image of God. Bottom right circle, out. We just saw in Acts chapter one, verse eight, we go out by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is missions. Missio Dei just means mission of God. God is on mission. He has called us to that mission. So when we talk about up and out, when we talk about what it means to be a church, it's a reflection, not just of three cheesy words that the pastor made up, it's a reflection of who God is and how God works in our world and how God works in our lives, that these would be the foundation. And my hope is that these words, they're not just words on a page, but they shape who we are as a church and what we do as a church. So everything we do as a church Every dollar we spend, every minute we invest, we say, does it lead us up? Does it lead us in? Does it lead us out? Sunday morning worship, Sunday school, extra ministries we have going on. Ultimately, every day of your life, we're saying, does it lead me up? Does it lead me in? Does it lead me out? Here's where this becomes helpful. It helps us to remain balanced. Sometimes you're a part of a church and it's incredible in worship, but they really don't teach the Bible. Or sometimes you're a part of a church that they really teach the Bible well, but they really don't do any mission work. It's like the, uh, the weightlifter who only lifts upper body and then they have little chicken legs on, on the bottom. Like you're completely unproportionate at that point, disproportionate. We want to have balance that reflects who God is and how He works in our lives, that so we're dedicated to worship. We're dedicated to discipleship. We're dedicated to ambitions. And we want those three to characterize who we are as a church. And we're going to continue to unpack that and explain this. And also, and this is the final point on your notes, these ideas of up, in, and out should be very useful for you as you think about your personal life, as you think about your family. Use this as a grid for your life and for your family and say, are we involved in up? Are we involved in in? Are we involved in out? And Lord, how can I grow in each of those areas? How can I grow as a worshiper of you? How can I grow as a disciple? How can I grow as a missionary? Let these things become a frame, become a lens through which you look at your life and through which you look at your family and through which you look at your church if you're not a part of Emmaus Baptist Church, if you're a member of another church in the area or another church in another state, your church probably isn't gonna use these same words, but these same ideas will be there. Look at your life, look at your church and say, how do we do these things for the glory of God? There's a lot of things that bombard us during the week, but these are where we want to give our focus. Would you bow your heads as we come to our time of response? Here in just a moment, David's going to come and lead us in a song, a song of reflection, a song of worship and praise. During this time, use these words, up, in, out. And take a look at your life. If you're here out of respect for a mom or a grandma and and church really isn't your thing, use these words even for yourself and say, What am I focused on? How is my life being changed and transformed? And what am I really living for? And I pray that as you do that, that God would call you to live for him. That you would know what it is to be transformed by his power. Not to look more religious, but that you would follow after Jesus with everything you have. If God's leading you to be a part of a church that's focused on these things, we'd love to pray with you about that. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. God, continue to transform our lives from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.